Are you ready? I am ready. Excellent. Thank you for joining us on The Change Artist, where we bring our listeners stories and great advice for leading and following through change from business leaders who are making a difference in their organizations. And here on The Change Artist, our motto is, if change is the only constant in life, then let's do it better. And this season, we're focusing specifically on data-driven leadership and the change required to realize the promise of the data-driven organization. So let's jump right in. Nate, how do you define data-driven leadership? That's a great question. I think that there's two sides to that, right? One is the, hey, am I paying attention to the data that's telling me how to make decisions? And then the other piece to that is not being overly data-driven to the point where you are forgetting about the human aspect of these pieces, right? So I think to be a data-driven leader, you have to drive good data insights continually across your business. But at the same time, you have to take account of the human aspects to those pieces of data and processes that you are looking at. Sure, that makes sense. Now, for those of you who don't know him, Nate Roybal is a data evangelist for Syncari, a data unification platform that helps accelerate and automate time to insight. So let's get back to your comment. And I want to dig in on this, this idea of paying attention. What does it mean for you when you talk about paying attention to the data? So I think that there's, there's again, multiple angles to that, right? So one of the things that I've seen over my years of, of being in the integration automation space is that there's a lot of people that gather data, right? What people don't often seem to do very well is actually take action against that data and kind of use it continually to make decisions. And, and that means as it changes, adapting to those changes, trying to understand why it's changing, and then making decisions and, and kind of being willing to iterate and change the directions you're going based on what the data is telling you. I think that we're finally in a place where we can actually draw these insights in a very quick way and drive action against them like we never could before during the customer journey, during the employee journey, you know, whatever it might be to get that insights and really like facilitate that journey. But with the volume of data growing like exponentially every year and what I perceive to be right, this sort of barrage of new technical solutions that are always available to help us turn that data into insights, how are organizations supposed to keep up? I think it's all about strategy. So when you go to think about how to align your systems, the mistake I see people making is looking at discrete systems, processes, even teams in a vacuum and not thinking about how do I build my business and my processes and my people teams to align the metrics that I need and be able to understand those in real time to make the choices I need to make to make my business better? Nice and, nice and easy, right? But the reality is that you really need to take a step back and start holistically looking at the way that you drive and understand your business um, instead of being reactive to each of these processes or gaps in data as you see them. And so then as we start to key in then on the human aspect, based on your experience, what is it about sort of the human interaction with data that makes data-driven leadership so hard? Yeah, I think it's, it's availability of data, one, right? That, that's always difficult timeliness of data. So, you know, how recently has the data been updated? And then you're still a lot of times left at the mercy, so to speak, of whoever's evaluating, right? So 
what insights they can draw and, and kind of what they think the data is saying, right? Because in essence, we all know that, you know, data tells a story, right? And everybody reads the story slightly differently sometimes. And um, sometimes that can be dangerous, especially if you go off and start making decisions based off insights you miscorrectly interpreted. So there's a huge people piece to that in general, but I think understanding how to align people around what you want to accomplish throughout the business is really key to that. Well, so this, this idea of misinterpretation of data, I think is, is really salient because I don't know that anyone looks at data and does analysis and says, I'm going to say something here that's wrong. You know, we have access to so much information and I think increasingly so much information in line with our expectations right? So we, we selectively collect the data that supports what we already believe. How do we as leaders think about both for ourselves and for our teams, getting out of that safe space of things I already know and reinforcing what I already believe and actually seeing the data for what it is, understanding the data when it's telling us something unexpected? That's a great question. Just to touch on it briefly, because I kind of thought about this as you're asking the question, which is, Sometimes you make the wrong decisions because you're getting different data from different places, right? So, you know, if I've got three people telling me different things, how am I supposed to make the right, right decision? Same things happens with your systems. It happens with individual records in your systems, or it happens across your business. And so I think that's a big problem with it. You have to maintain as much objectivity as possible and do your own set of analysis based on conclusions that other people come to, right? We can't all be data analysts. We can't all be people that understand implicitly everything we're seeing. But what we can do is we can work with people that are smarter than us or know more than us and take those insights and gather multiple people's insights and then make a decision. The problem comes when you are unwilling to go off and learn for yourself and you unquestionably take the results that other people are giving you but at the same time, hire good people and people smarter than you, and I think it'll serve you well. If we think about where those data analysts, if we're not all data analysts, and I think that there are some who would push back on that, like to what extent should we all be data natives in the organization? What have you seen as, as the most effective leadership structure and organizational structure for getting data analytics the focus that it needs to be front and center in the decision-making process? Yeah, I think a really good example I've come across recently was the folks over at GuideCX. Their VP of Ops comes from Domo, right, which is an insights tool. And so very early on, they decided, hey, we're going to invest in an insights team. And they've basically got an insight person that's aligned with each business team. It's a little bit large, in my opinion, but at the same time, each team has access to personalized custom dashboards. They can drive action off them easily, and they can make decisions easily. And everybody across the business can see those understand the decisions they've made and get input, right? So that's super valuable. And at the same time, I think it's it's also expensive and it's hard. And it, it's, I can't imagine how they're going to scale to a thousand person company with something at that same model. I think that data-driven decision-making can happen early. And I think it needs to happen early, like the alignment around that. But the, the difficulty becomes, um, how do you architect your teams and your solutions so you are not creating some monolithic data architecture that you cannot manage as you scale. And who owns the data architecture and who owns the data? Do I really want, if I'm in marketing, do I really want someone outside of marketing owning my data? And 
because so goes the architecture, so goes my analysis. On the flip side of that is, if I'm in marketing, do I have the expertise in my organization to own it ourselves? And so what is the right balance there? And what are some of the things, as our listeners are thinking about how they structure data ownership within their own organizations, what are some of the considerations and things that they should be keeping front and center uh, in their minds as they're thinking about the best way to move forward with data stewardship and data ownership organizations? So uh, you are completely correct, right? I think the, the problem becomes every person or every org or every department wants to do different stuff with the data, right? And they want different metrics or different objects or different sets of objects. And they want that reported differently too, right? Um, so there's always a little bit of a, a disconnect there. There's a couple important things you can do, which is, hey, let's try to think about what we want our data to be able to do for us and what that will look like a year from now and what we have to set up to make that happen. Right? I think with the state of architecture today and the way systems are changing so fast, it's hard to do much more than a year or two of planning. Right? We can, but we all know that these things seem to change much faster these days than they used to. I think that the, the other piece to that is a lot of people take on these data projects as a whole project, right? And earlier on, what I said was like, you know, think holistically, think about the whole thing, right? Thinking about the whole thing doesn't mean you have to take it all on at once. What I see from a lot of these companies is they say, hey, we've got bad data. Let's go fix that. Okay, what does that mean? Okay, we're going to go buy 10 tools. We've got to invest in a huge team. We've got to do this and this and this and this. And, you know, a year later, they still don't have the data they want because, you know, they didn't even know what they went into it with the first place. And now they're hundreds of thousands of dollars in, and now their business is intrinsically tied into these data systems. So they can't even back out. There's this state in between where you can start saying, hey, data is bad and that's impacting X, X, and Y, right? So how do I understand the data is bad impacting? What's, what is it impacting? Okay, cool. Now I've understood what it's impacting. Let me go try to solve pieces of this, right? And, and let me think about holistically how I want this to fit into the whole piece, but let me solve one piece at a time and start taking on changes piecemeal. And I think it's really important to think big, but start small with data. Data is not easy. I don't think it'll ever, ever will be. Uh, there's never going to be an easy button. If we think big, but start small, how do we put together then the value case for data transformation? That is a great question. Um, and I think I it's- I only it, ask great <laughs> questions. I don't, have you listened to this podcast before? Come on. <laughs> well, it's a question that we, we come across all the time at Syncrate, right? We're, we're early stage. We are trying to figure that same thing out, right? So I think that it, it really is difficult, right? And I think it comes down to these, these impacts and where you can start showing value. I mean, a line on, hey, we know our data is bad. What is that actually doing? to us, right? Who, who feels that? Who's fixing that? What do those processes look like? What is that taking on a day-to-day basis? What is that stopping us from doing? And you can build up a, a business case around opportunity cost, around lost revenue, whatever, right? So that's that's part of it. And you can start, you know, in one system or a couple systems to do that. Plenty of tools that help you, you know, align your data, clean data, all that fun stuff. But I don't know if that really answered your question. <laughs> I think it's, I, I think that as we're looking to make investments, we always have to show a business case. Mm-hmm. And I think the pressure is always go bigger and go faster, right? Because every platform is a burning platform when we feel like our data is bad. And so I think that a lot of folks have a, a, real, a real tough challenge ahead of them trying to articulate where is the data worst and where should we tackle first? 
And those are not necessarily the same place. And it's just, it's not as straightforward as I think we'd all like it to be. Yeah, I, I, I very much agree with that, right? I think um, you probably see this across your clients, but almost everybody who comes in probably says, hey, how do I, how do I figure this out? What's the easy button? You're probably sit there and say, well, let me sit there and figure it out for, you know, not a day, not a week, but maybe like a month or two. And let's, let's really understand what you want to do with the data. We have tons of that, right? We're a low code systems, right? People always want fast, fast solutions. I regularly have to say, look, you can build this stuff in a day, right? What you can't do is think about the logic and the way that this business logic you're building right now is going to affect everything downstream and is going to affect every data model you have from here forward. So how do you build a data model that really serves the entire business or build one that's narrow enough that you continue to be additive without impacting the rest of the business? Those are really hard questions, but it starts off by just at least setting a baseline. What metrics and what objects and what sets of records are needed across the business and, and what like good quality looks like, right? I think that there's a lot of nebulous terms around bad data or good data, but if you can define impacts, if you can define lost opportunity costs, you can go out and figure out what the bad data looks like and how to make it good data. And as we go on this journey of fixing the data, there's also a behavioral journey and helping people understand how to use that data to, to make decisions, how to trust that data as they make decisions. And so what guidance do you give to the people that you work with, the companies that you work with on not just implementing a tool and running an initiative to clean up the data, but then getting the most out of that investment by actually then using the data and driving some of those data usage behavior changes that are really instrumental in data-driven leadership. Yeah. And I think that's that's the missing piece for a lot of people, right? When you look at the, the modern data architecture that most people talk about, right? We're talking about like ingestion, right? Storage, munging of some kinds, right? And then distribution. Almost every single one kind of leaves out that last piece, which is like, how do we get somebody to actually do stuff with this, right? I think that it comes down to one, if you can drive action from the end users, right? So people that will actually, hey, customer signed up three new users over there. Hey, cool. We should probably go do something with that. Or customers called complaining four times this week. Well, we should probably do something separate with that, right? Um, so insights like that, that you can draw from your business and then actually go do stuff with are much, much more valuable than just presenting reports. I think if you can set up your architecture in a way that you can drive action automatically, that's, that's the best, right? Now that's unrealistic for a lot of things and a lot of data models. So you do have to build in processes that make it part of the day-to-day tasks, right? So again, if I go back to Guide CX, right? One of the tasks that their reps have on, I think almost day-to-day basis is go look at your Domo dashboard, see what pops to the top and, and who you should go contact. That's probably the, one of the only ways that you can actually drive consistent action, right? A lot of times I think about this also from a lens of a, a frontline worker, right? There, there's tons of data stuff that happens on these executive levels. And I think, you know, executives have gotten the best of the reporting um, situation for a long time because inevitably everybody wants to give their executives the best quality reports. But uh, the reality is that the people that actually need to use the data need the best quality data so they can, they can make decisions quickly and don't have to escalate and they can 
you know, go do what's right for their customers. And so I think putting it in front of them, but then also creating like a behavior path that says, hey, this is how and when you need to use this. And this is what it looks like to use that. So what can our listeners do as individuals to more deeply embed data-driven insights into their work and the decisions that they're part of? Yeah, I think it's a great question. So I think the first thing that listeners should do is try to understand both the upstream, so the things that happen before the data hits them, and then the downstream impacts of their data, right? So wherever they are in the customer journey, right? This could be someone in the finance org or the product org or sales org or customer success org. You each have a subset of the data, right? You each need to do different stuff with the data. So kind of understand who's serving you that data, who you're then serving that data to, what it's supposed to do, what it's supposed to do when it gets to you, and be able to tell the story from that data as well. So you can go advocate for yourself or your customers or other people when you need to. And I love this. You mentioned the customer journey, right? And our data goes on a journey as well. So thinking through the upstream and the downstream, it also helps us think about internal customers. Who are we communicating to? Who's going to use this after I use it? I think that's a really important part of the data life cycle that we oftentimes forget. We think about data as a static fact. And the reality is that fact came from somewhere, may have been modified on its way to you. You may do some modification and it may continue to evolve after it leaves sort of your space. So thinking about the life cycle of data and understanding where we sit in that life cycle, I think is is an important mindset that people need to start taking as they look at data. If our audience wants to learn more about Syncari, how would I go about doing that? Well, you can go to Syncari.com, right? You can check out our LinkedIn. Uh, You can see some of the memes I post almost daily that are comical, I think, uh, about data, data quality, automation, general stuff that I think most of the people are dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And what questions should they be asking? when they reach out to you or to, to somebody else from Syncery? Yeah, so Syncery is a unification platform. The, the, the thing to know uh, when you're talking to us versus somebody else is, are you trying to unify your data or are you trying to integrate your data? What's the difference? Glad you asked. It's, it's real true bi-directional sync with timely data versus linear, right? So integration is push, 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 push. Syncery is data hub and then distribute. Very cool. Well, we'll be sure to include that information in the show notes. Nate, this has been great. Hopefully our listeners can take your advice and your insights and apply it to their own organizations and communities. If you'd like to learn more about how you can bring these kinds of conversations to your organization, please visit us at www.blueswiftconsulting.com to schedule a free discovery call. Thanks again, Nate. Thank you.